This is Becoming Allies. A podcast about inequality and what the F we can do about it. I'm your host, Becky Winchell. And I'm your other host, Maria Youngbeck. And welcome to The Conversation. So, Becky, um, I thought today we could catch up on a little bit of the reading we've been doing um, in between the interviews that we've been having with people. Um, And I have been reading this book by Rennie Ido Lodge um, called Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race. I love it. I Um, love it, Maria. Tell me more. Thanks, Becky. I will. I will. So basically, (laughs) what's interesting about this book, what I really thought when I picked it up is that it's about uh, racism in the UK. Um, So there's a lot of, let's say, there's a lot of work around colonialism, but also around how the Brits um, are intrinsically more racist than you might expect. Um, And being someone who's lived in the UK, and I have a husband from the UK, I can really um, relate to that. When I read this book, I relate to it. But I also think there's a real dependency on where in the UK you are. So when I lived there, I lived in London. And I don't think that that's necessarily um, a good example of what a typical British town or uh, audience is like or what people are like. Um, But not to generalize because the UK is a big place. But I'm going to start off just by taking you through one of the chapters that really stood out for me. And this chapter is called Fear of a Black Planet. Hmm. Uh, And so in this chapter, uh, it starts off by talking about a conservative politician in 1968 named Enoch Powell, who basically was telling an audience about the ills of immigration. He was uh, telling them that in this country in 15 or 20 years time, the black man will have the whip hand over the white man. So the fact that he uses the word whip is already shocking and what it says here is that powell clearly thought that a white power that a power transfer in race relations would lead to white british people facing the same mistreatment and systemic barriers that black people were working to overcome there's a reason why he said whip hand rather than using the less symbolic phrasing advantage over enoch powell's speech has consistently been earmarked as one of the most racist speeches in british history but his language was only as racially charged as Britain's relationship with blackness has historically been. So that was just that first page of a chapter that then goes through basically what um, Remy is referring to as a fear of uh, black Britain. And she talks about uh, Nick Griffin, who's the head or he's part of the British National Party, so far right party. And he talks about the fact that uh, by night, by 2066, uh, Britain will be major. The majority of Britain will be black or other. And then he goes on to say, "You wouldn't, you wouldn't dare to go to New Zealand and say to a Maori, what do you mean indigenous? You wouldn't dare to go to North America and say to an American Red Indian, what do you mean indigenous? We're all the same. The indigenous people of these islands, the UK, he's talking about the English, the Scots, the Irish, and the Welsh. It's the people who have been here overwhelmingly for the last seventeen thousand years. We are the Aboriginals here." It's extraordinarily racist to deny the English, is what he says. But what I want to put out there to you and what the writer says as well is, these people who are of other descent in the UK did not come to the UK on their own terms. They didn't come there because they wanted to take over the UK. They were either colonized and brought over as slaves, or they were brought over in the 50s, 60s, and 70s as cheap labor. And now these people are being blamed for taking over the entire country. 
how are so they taking over? Well, that's exactly the point, right? They're not. <laughs> I don't like, how do these people and I, by these people, it's the people that are making ridiculous statements like this. I'm just I guess I'm just trying to wrap my mind around because the same thing's happening in the States, right? That where people mm-hmm. I like I think there's there's two major things wrong with this. I didn't even I'm so sorry. I didn't even let you pose your question. But I no, cuz I I just it. I'm like you, you there's there's the thing wrong where you have just because you treat another human inhumanely because that's what it is. You're treating them as less than a person. You think that the only way to that if you're not on top which also, by the way, feeds nicely into what I'm going to read later on. But it, it's like this really messed up view of either I have to be on top or I'm going to be on the bottom. When it's like nobody, everybody just wants to be on the same mm-hmm. playing field and have it level. Which I don't understand where that idea comes from. And it's real. It's really crappy and sad. And secondly, I just don't, I guess I just... I don't even understand where the mentality is like in what way are these people that are whether they come from the black community whether they come from the latinx community what it doesn't it doesn't matter like any i guess let me just put it in in terms of immigrants like in what universe are they taking over i just don't understand yeah, because yeah. you keep hearing it that's what that's what kind of brought Brexit. It's, I don't get it's it. It's exactly what brought Brexit, from? and and uh, I don't know where it's coming from. But it's interesting in the book. It says that Nick Griffin, the guy I just referred to, he's an extreme example, but he voices the same fears that are evident in the low-level grumblings and resentment of some British people who are resistant to change. They spend their time yearning for a nostalgic Britain that never was. And I find that so interesting. I think that's the same rhetoric going on in America kick everyone out, send them home, whatever the fuck it is they say, but where is home and what is it you're looking for? And just to add to that, he says that fear of a black planet maintains that people of color are unfairly vying for precious rationed and scarce resources. And that having more people of color in these positions of power might instigate a drastic tipping of the scales. So I believe that part of it has to do with let's take Britain, their colonial past, they had, they took over half of the world, right? They plundered, they killed, they did what they wanted to do, and they ended up richer for it. But the UK is largely class driven, and there's huge class divides. And the lower classes, this book says it as well, are mostly immigrants. They're mostly Bangladeshis, Indians, people who are working in shops or own restaurants. But then you also have the British side and the lower class. Of, and I believe that those people have somehow gotten into their heads that if all the other lower class people, if all the other migrant immigrants go, then they somehow will raise themselves up and, and get up to a higher class somehow. I think that's exactly what they yeah. think, honestly. I mean, it does. It, but the thing is, it, and there's a lot of ways that kind of baffle my mind. And and also just were you also a little repulsed at the fact that he called uh, Brits and Welsh and Scottish and Irish, uh, at least Northern Irish, I will say Northern Irish uh, mm-hmm. Aboriginals? Like that's like repulsive to me somehow. I mean, it just is. That's not. It's not by by trying to 
it seems like there's it it seems like that's a, a very similar argument as one that I heard the other day, which is just as disgusting to me. Well, more disgusting to me. It's the you know when they when they start talking about the fact that in especially in America, the black people are dying at the hands of police, and it is a very real issue. And that's something that we've brought up on other podcasts. I mean, we've had we we we've talked with people who have I mean and and friends of ours who um they just don't want to be scared that they're going to die in the streets because of nothing that they did wrong and and then to hear somebody go oh but what about black on black violence it's just so offensive it's just so repugnant to hear something like that and I think but it's it's kind of in the same way of um and I think it stems from that fear and that same sort of I mean don't you get that same feeling from it of it stems from that fear of losing control and losing yeah. the upper hand. And yeah, no. And, and just to add a little bit here, the last paragraph, the last sentence she writes, um, well, or just add a little more here. So she says to some, every time a new curry house opens, every Polish shop that opens and every time Sainsbury's expands its ethnic food aisle, it's a symbol that white Brits are sleepwalking into new minority status. Fear of a black planet is a fear of loss. And to me that, that, yeah, it, 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 yeah. But it isn't, isn't it interesting though that, I mean, so there has to be, there has to be a less than, (laughs) but, but who gets, but who gets to call? Right. And it's, it's interesting to me too, that like, I think even the Brits that, that voted for Brexit, um, and, uh, I mean, we're, we're, I mean, anybody that voted for Brexit that knows, cause I think some of it was that they didn't no, exactly and they were understand manipulated. They, what they, they really were voting were. for. And, um, there was a lot of things in it that I would say it's not the average Brit's fault for, for believing a lot of the propaganda that they were given. Right. And the, and the, and the rhetoric that was being shared, cause a lot of it too was, was, um, yeah. was a scare tactic. Uh, but to those that did know what they were voting for, because there there were definitely several that did, it's isn't it strange how they are so an, animate about having it? You know, we need to establish what is what is the United Kingdom, what is uh, you know, what is our right as as Englishmen and women as you know, Scottish men and women as Welshmen and women. I would leave Scotland out, have though, you. to be honest, but, in, this, in this discussion in terms I mean, of Brexit, because I think Scotland was way ahead and really off on their own. Um, <laughs> yeah, Scotland yeah, is one right? Scotland. Yeah, Poor we Scotland. love Scotland. I do like, love Scotland. But um, I, I, wanted, I, to, I wanted to Scotland. add one thing here. Sorry, but, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I just, but, but at the same time, aren't they just enjoy, they're, they're, they're also enjoying the fact that, so, you know, they're talking about well, with house. every, with every <laughs> ethnic aisle and curry house, but, but at the same time, these same people are going and enjoying having, who doesn't in the UK, I mean, I'm sure there's some, but there's several people that, that voted for this that I'm sure also enjoy 
going in there and partaking oh my God, of yeah. that Curry cuisine. Curry is the national dish, right? That's, but, you know, it, it's the same as when, when you talk about the U.S. and about Trump uh, wanting to send illegal immigrants home. I mean, these illegal immigrants are the ones working on farms, are the ones doing the dirty work that white people don't want to do. So if, if all these policies are actually enacted and, and work, who's left to do the work that we or our society has told us we're too good for? Because that's the reality. Yeah. But I wanted to add yeah. one thing from here. And when I read it the first time, I had to think about it again. So I'm going to read it slowly and have a think about it. There is an old saying about the straight man's homophobia being rooted in a fear that gay men will treat him as he treats women. This is no different. Can you read that one more time? There is an old saying about the straight man's homophobia being rooted in a fear that gay men will treat him as he treats women. So you sexualize women, you don't respect them, you cross boundaries. That's traditionally what a lot of straight men have done. So what she's saying is that man's fear of other gay men is rooted in the fact that they think the gay man will do the same to them. So they will cross boundaries. Right, which I think is what we talked about at the beginning, that there's, there seems to be this weird, you know, when, when people talk about, you know, this whole, uh, I'm afraid of, I'm afraid of, you know, this minority rising up, which is absurd for so many reasons, but I'm afraid of this minority rising up i i think that is that's that's the problem they're also afraid that that it's going to be flipped and i guess it's so interesting i guess to look at it in a way of how do we get to a point where we can talk to one another and break down systems when the only way of relating to other people is to dominate or be dominated Because I think that's really what we're talking about, right? Whether it's a gender issue, because this is also coming up too with with a lot of transgender rights Mm -hmm. and non-binary rights that, uh, I mean, wasn't it just recently that Elon Musk, you know, had a lot of backlash because he said pronouns are stupid. And I think it comes all rooted in this sort of same subconscious Mm -hmm. fear of, of relating to other people, I dominate or I am dominated. In a similar manner, you know how we talk that I'm a big, I'm a big believer that in a debate, you have to agree on certain logic, logical foundations. Otherwise there's no, there's no point. You and I love to debate, but that's because we can agree on certain logical foundations and principles, but it Mm. becomes very hard to debate with somebody who thinks Mm -hmm. that the earth is flat because then you don't have, you, you know, you remove some of those foundational steps and what do you build upon? But I think the same mm-hmm. thing is happening here. If that's how you relate to people. So even men and women and then, and, you know, you've brought up in previous conversations, me too, and, and other toxic masculinity and, and things like that. If the only way that you can relate to women as a, as a man mm-hmm. or even vice versa is to dominate or be dominated, where do you go from yeah. there? The alternative is not great. You're you're either in the submission position, mm-hmm. which is terrible, and you're being 
you know, you're, you're being hurt so badly or you're dominating and you don't understand that really what you have to do is stop doing that. And even the playing field. I think the question is then why, why are we living in a world where this is how things are set? I can answer that. It's our history. Hey, if this is what we've been doing for so many years, for hundreds, if not thousands of years, there's always us versus them. And there's always another. Um, I remember learning about that university and being really like what do you mean like there's always a them versus us and then as soon as that kind of clicks you're like it's absolutely everywhere and absolutely everything you do um it's the same at work you know it's the same even in families you'll you'll find it but um yeah the last thing I wanted to say from this book and then I'll hand it over to you is um that she talks about uh Harry Potter and uh and she talks about so back in the 90s they had an open call for Harry Potter, the first Harry Potter movie, uh, for kids to come in and audition. And this, the, the writer said that she really wanted to audition. So she spent a lot of time in her backyard um, practicing the role, but she never went because she was black. And she just assumed that Harry Potter was white, or that Hermione and all the Harry Potter characters were white. And then this became a thing where they started talking about it um, and talking about what would happen if Hermione was black. And basically, a lot of fans, or says that some Harry Potter fans struggled to imagine a black Hermione, meant that they couldn't imagine little black girls as precocious, intelligent, logical know-it-alls with hearts of gold. It's a shame that they couldn't imagine quiet, unassuming black middle-class parents who work as dentists. It's sad that blackness in their heads is stuck in an ever-repetitive script with strict parameters of how a person should be. The imaginations of Black Hermione's detractors can stretch to the possibility of a secret platform at King's Cross Station that can only be accessed by running through a brick wall, but they can't stretch to a Black central character. So that was not only just a, um, not only a concept, but it it Mm -hmm. played out in the news. So I don't know if, if, do you remember when they announced the, so I remember this, when they announced the casting of, and I can, unfortunately, I, Mm -hmm. I can picture her, and I cannot remember the actor. I can't remember any of the actors' names, unfortunately. Um, so we'll have to mm-hmm. we'll have to put a link. I don't know why I'm pointing <laughs> people can look at me. I can see um, you. I know what you mean down there. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll we'll put we'll put a link in the in you know on the on the site. So when they had taken um, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, and they had put it up on in the West End before mm-hmm. long before it went to Broadway. So they were doing the stage production. It was an announcement. And then they came out with an announcement of who were going to play Ron, mm-hmm. Hermione, and Harry. Of course, this as the adult versions of them, because this was set, you know, mm-hmm. when they had kids, it centers around uh, their, their children. Um, and uh, Hermione was was cast by a mm-hmm. she was a black actress and there was a shit storm that hit when that announcement was made because it quite literally showed what you just yeah. read happening that the, you are right there were people that not only could not imagine a world in which Hermione was black but also yeah. were angry about it were so hurt and I don't think that's the right word, but butthurt about it, that they were so, that they felt the need to lash out against this actress 
and you know jk rowling and the choices uh you know that the producers had made and the director for the stage show had made and i mean you know rowling was quick to point out that you know within the text of of any of the novels it says there's only a couple of descriptions about hermione physically one is that she has very curly hair which actually makes a lot of sense if you think about you know and uh black person's hair and how like the the Mm -hmm. thickness of it and also the Mm -hmm. um the waviness of it would make sense within that within that and that she had I, i believe the only other physical um, thing that Rowling wrote was that she had yeah. brown eyes. That was those were the two things everybody mm-hmm. else had filled in the blanks. And of course, when you read things, everybody pictures something different. That's the joy of reading, unless it's explicitly laid out for you. And even then, you're gonna picture things differently because that's the joy of your experience and imagination. Um, so I don't. And then of course, like. You know, Emma Watson Mm -hmm. is Caucasian. So, you know, I think a lot of people, I started reading the books after I watched some of the movies. So I definitely had that in my mind. But there's a difference. There's a difference in in thinking one way and having a different, maybe your Harry didn't look like Daniel Radcliffe or, you know, the the adult version, or maybe your Sirius Black didn't quite look Mm -hmm. like how they cast him. And that's whatever. And then the difference of losing your mind because Hermione is a different skin tone and is very powerful and smart. And quite frankly, I mean, the joke is my one of my friends likes to joke that, you know, if uh, Hermione, she just told me this yesterday, that the joke with one of her students was if if Hermione was the chosen one, Voldemort would have been destroyed in book one. I don't yeah. know if that's necessarily true, yeah. but it's a funny yeah. thing to joke about, you know. It is really, really interesting. Uh, it's interesting what you said as well with like books, they they play to your imagination, right? But I think that's something also subconsciously or unconsciously. I read one Harry Potter book. I wasn't a huge fan, but I can say like I've been reading a lot lately and I do by default make my characters in my head white. I don't think about it, but I do. You know, it's... um. Yeah, just something I've never really thought about, but I don't know if that's because I, that's my world and, and you know, the, my family. So I, I imagine people who look like my parents or things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Food for thought. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Because I, I yeah. think I do the same thing. If nobody fills in the blanks, then I will, you automatically insert your yeah. own experiences. But I think I would add just one small thing to that and I think maybe that's one of the many reasons why it's important then to start expanding and this goes for everybody to start expanding and reading things that are not within um, you know your typical wheelhouse so you read things that are you know maybe from Asian authors you read things that are from Latinx and the black community and and authors there and you know playwrights and and things like that because then your your experience is going to be enriched and expanded by those experiences so I think there's some part of it that of course if it's if it's something like Harry Potter or that's set in the UK or you know uh, I mean even Twilight that's set in the Pacific Northwest I mean yeah, yeah everybody was white to me too because 
that's my experience. Maybe it was, maybe it would have been different if, you know, I had a best friend that, that looked different than I did in, in such a way as I was reading it, that would have changed the yeah. narrative for me. Maybe not. It's really interesting. It's interesting. That's an so interesting that was concept. why I'm no longer talking about race. And we'll put a link to um, the book in our show notes um, and a few of the excerpts as well. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Becoming Allies is produced and hosted by Becky Winchell and Maria Youngbeck. The show is engineered and edited by Dennis Dervasevic. Find additional information and allyship resources on our website, becomingallies.com, and sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know when new episodes are live. You can also join the conversation with us through Twitter and Instagram at Becoming Allies. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts as well. We read all of them. You can find more episodes at becomingallies.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast player.